Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, my fall break is almost over, and somehow, so is Innistrad Midnight Hunt. I'm just looking at the calendar, and I am seeing that it's October 24th, and September 24th is when I flew back from Scotland. So it's been basically a month of me playing the set, and now we're doing 50 takes. That's crazy. It's insane. I want so many more drafts and so many more games this format. I know you're like medium plus on it, but I really enjoy this format. Yeah, I, I'm I'm quite I'm quite medium minus. Diagraph, holy crap, I hate that card is sort of my <laughs> biggest takeaway for this format. Um, but we'll get into that just a little bit later. Yeah, I mean, the, ga- the gameplay is good, but also but also so punishing. So that I have a sort of love hate relationship with it because I know it's making me a better player, but also it's making me mad mad sometimes <laughs> yes i was definitely when i was streaming last night smacking myself in the face telling myself i was so stupid <laughs> yeah oh it's it's a, it's a toughie it's a toughie but we got uh, hopefully a good vampire set coming out where werewolves i assume will be the best thing to do and then <laughs> <laughs> vampires will be terrible if that's the theme of these uh Innistrad sets this fall for sure we are going to be sending off Innistrad Midnight Hunt in Lords of Limited fashion with our 50 takes in 50 minutes episode. Great way to sort of uh, summarize the format for ourselves and then also a great episode for, you know, when when it comes back to Magic Arena in a few months, if folks have never played it, this is always a great episode that we get to point people to to be like, hey, here's a fast and loose 50 minutes uh, for you to really get as much information jammed in as possible. Uh, but before we get into that, we have some housekeeping things to take care of. First things first is the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose the patreon is what makes the show possible like you know i'm not not sure if we would have been doing this for four plus years ben without the fine folks over at the patreon i was reminded on twitter by one of the the initial people who sent us an email about six months into doing the show that were like hey i want to give back to the show but you you don't have a patreon and so ben and i got a few of those emails and we were like all right we'll start this thing up and i i never in a million years would have guessed that it grew to what it is today and what it continues to grow into as uh you know the years come Ben and so it's a very very humbling experience to think about the growth of the Patreon but the Patreon is great and everybody who gives back to the show we try and in turn give back to them give them access to the discord give them access to our show notes in anticipation of the show even as you move up the ranks give them access to monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben so there's a lot of great stuff over there and of course each and every week we want to welcome our new patrons to the fold and this week we're welcoming a slew of Kyles Kyle D Kyle H Kyle B Brian, Professor Ping, Pyodor, Yoris, Pete, Grovsky, and Alex. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, I cannot say thank you enough for your support. And I do want to echo, I don't think the show would be happening without the Patreon. I feel pretty confident about that, right? Because I would have had to have stopped editing. And I think if there would not have been like, you know, a real business opportunity for the podcast, I don't think you would have wanted to take over the editing, right? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, it's tough to know when that sort of decision point happened and where we were at. But I agree. I don't I don't think I would have. And so we may have just, you know, stopped it where it was when when that happened, when your life got super busy with school. Yeah, would have been a darn shame. So thank you all for saving Lords of Limited. The show has <laughs> also brought to you in part by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need, Magic the Gathering related. The same stuff is kind of going on, but we're coming in on the last week of Marketplace Madness. So that means the grand prizes are getting closer here at the end of October. So if you want to get in some entries to maybe win that Black Lotus, you've got this week to do so. You can go to channelfireball.com and shop on the Marketplace, which means you can buy from your LGS, maybe some other LGS if your LGS isn't on there. And if you used to have store credit with CFB, make sure that you sign up for a Marketplace account to make sure that that store credit gets transferred over. 
They've also got MTG Las Vegas coming up November 19th through 21st, which is going to be Crimson Vow release weekend. So if that's your jam and you feel comfortable going, make sure that you get registered for MTG Las Vegas. And for anything you do over at Channel Fireball, please use code LOL, all caps, to let them know that we sent you over there. One last thing. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna sort of do a classic Watsi move here and announce an announcement. <laughs> but we do have some exciting Lords of Limited news coming to folks in the next few weeks. And in, in anticipation of that, part of that announcement is we're going to be moving over where we host our podcast. And so that should, fingers crossed, not affect you getting the episode to your favorite podcast app. But in case it does, there may be a hiccup here or there. You know, you're going to f- try and find an old episode about Vintage Cube or something and it's not showing up or it's not on Spotify or anything like that. Um, just just know that that is perhaps an anticipated hiccup. And please just reach out to us, however you reach out to us, Discord, Twitter, whatever, email, and we'll you know make sure that that gets fixed as soon as possible. 100%. I'm excited. Yeah, very, very exciting. So, you know, just get getting people on the edge of their seat there for what that announcement's going to be in a little bit. All right, Ben, before we get into the 50 takes, I have got to share. I know I, I, this is so out of Ethan fashion. <laughs> I've got to share some draft challenge bad beat stories with you. I am ready for this because you hate bad beats. So these have to be some extra good beats for you to want to share them. This, this is just it's just highly entertaining. You're going to appreciate this. So my first draft challenge was like it, it was it was going great i got past a pick three katilda got like you know pick six eccentric farmer pick seven join the dance i was like great i'm gonna get hooked up with this great green white deck and then green white dries up in pack two and pack three and i'm like cobbling together fixing for like an organ hoarder or whatever <laughs> oh no okay. okay um i also have in in this pile i got a brutal cathar um and so this is an important piece of this this final so i you know this the, the final run of this so I, I lose my first match and then i believe it's like game two or game three of my second match and i've got brutal cathar on the battlefield flipped so it's the three three first strike ward playing against a blue red opponent they attack in with their famished foragers right their four three is attacking to my three three first strike i'm at five i can't really do anything other than block they go and fire off a startle in response I go and uh, cast a Might of the Old Ways to give it plus two, plus two, so that it'll you know still kill this thing in combat. My opponent has five mana. They go three mana, rummage with the foragers. Then they cast Consider with a blue mana. Oh, no. Bottom the card, or like bin the land or whatever, then draw. And then with the remaining mountain, Moonrager's Slash, my brutal Cathar. <laughs> Yikes. I was like, okay, great. This is how this is going. So I owe to my first draft. Next draft, I try and draft blue white, uh, starting off with a devoted graph keeper into like a couple disturbed creatures, dries up completely, get a late storm Skrelix in pack one, like pick 11 or something, and then try to cobble together a blue red deck. One of the worst draft decks I think I've ever drafted in my life. It's so bad. <laughs> I lose uh, match one, match two. So now I'm 0-3 in the draft challenge in my run so far. Match two, my opponent misses their, they just skip over their first turn. They just miss their first land drop. (laughs) Okay. Discard to hand size a Delver of Secrets. They proceed to play the following cards. Double Stuffed Bear, double Heirloom Mirror. You lost this game? No, no, no. Double Heirloom Mirror and a Ghoulish Procession. And I almost lost this game. Okay, that's so you how got there. bad. That's how bad my deck is. I then ended up rattling it up to a 5-2 record, which was good. But like, holy cow. Those are just some brutal runs. I was like, I'm going to lose this game to double Heirloom Mirror and double Stuffed Bear. And I'm not going to be able to go on a podcast again. You also sent me a blue-black deck that was the ideal blue black deck just 
perfect. And you were like, I owed with this. <laughs> oh, yeah. A Meat Hook Massacre, Ludovic, Double Blade Stitch Scob, Double Diagraph Horde, Dreadhound, all the removal you could want. Just O2. Like, I am getting brutalized in the draft challenge. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I'm 2-2 in my first run, and I do have a pretty sexy green-red spells deck that I'm excited to play today. Red has been contested. It has. Words out. Like, you know, I keep trying to do the, the maneuver of, like, take the slash, wheel the crasher or whatever, and then the pack's wheel, and I'm like, oh, wow, crasher, neonates rush, and famished foragers are all gone. Like, people are drafting red, man. It's, yeah. it's wild. Secrets out. So I'm hoping to get positive here in the draft challenge with my final run. I've got a nice little red black deck again. I six owed with a red black deck. So I'm doing okay, but not uh, not farming it for the the draft tokens that I was hoping to be doing. Well, that's how it works, right? You lose and then you double your bet. Isn't that isn't that how the poker works? You just keep chasing well, after those those tokens. That's that's the addict in me. That's what I'm doing for sure. Yeah. <laughs> just like watching my gold and gems dwindle. All right. Now we can get into sending off in Midnight Hunt in Lord's Limited fashion. 50 takes in 50 minutes. Ben, are you ready? I am ready. Let's go. All right. 50 minutes on the clock. I'm going to take us in with the first point here. Number one, in Midnight Hunt can be summed up by one word tempo baby which is a, a bit of a contentious word i guess in the magic community in terms of what it means i love it i think all of these mechanics disturbed decayed flashback they all got better the more ahead in the game you were and there were a lot of great efficient cheap creatures to get you ahead in the game yeah and then on the flip side i think werewolves failed so hard because they got wrecked by people being able to double spell so much and werewolves just didn't have the ability to like do very much you know you, you go okay i'm not gonna do anything this turn so i'll pass to make it night and then i don't really have any, anything to do whereas sometimes you know when you had like red green spells or whatever red blue spells with obsessive astronomer on turn two and then you go cool pass the turn and i can revelation i can moon rager slash i can flip the switch whatever um the werewolves deck just couldn't do that and then people would be like okay i can double spell that's easy for me when i have disturb and flashback I think if I only got one word to sum up in a straw, I'm just thinking off the cuff here i think my word uh -huh. might be zombies which is really weird because it's the werewolf set <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. I mean, Decade really did dominate it much more than Werewolves, for sure. Which brings us into number two. Decade is so much more than a resource. We've said this many times. We said this in the crash course. You know, we were thinking about the Decade tokens as, you know, equivalent to energy or something like that. Some sort of additional resource when looking at cards like Siege Zombie or Larder Zombie or uh, Scob Wrangler, things like that. But it just did so much more, right? It made, even though they couldn't block, they did make combat awkward for your opponent because if they attacked, then they were opening themselves up to taking this like two incidental damage from the decayed tokens. You know, they really just like warped the game a lot. Right. I think once you got in the five, six decayed zombie tokens, range the game was just over your opponent just was not going to be able to go wide enough because like you were put in this awkward spot where you're like do i use my two three to trade with your three two or do i use it to like eat this two two when you when they're when they're swinging all right do i use it to eat the two two but then i'm taking three and then i still have can have to contend with the three two and next turn it was it was hard it was really hard and i think those decayed zombies were fantastic it was a really cool limited mechanic maybe a little too powerful but a really sweet mechanic yeah, I think like just on the cusp, which I think is what we want, just on the cusp of like too powerful. I, I like that mechanic a lot. I would give it an A plus. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Number three, blue is the best color, and it's honestly not that close. Like the conversation initially was black is better. Blue versus black. Blue and black are close. I, I don't think it's close. Well, how much of that is based on the fact that blue was consistently open and draft and black wasn't, right? Because I mean, if you flip flop it and you say you're fighting over blue all the time and black's wide open, 
you're thrilled to draft black, right? I'm th- I'm happy to draft black. I don't know if I'm thrilled. Black doesn't offer the same sort of thing, right? Blue is plays well with every color. It's got an insanely deep roster of commons, and you could say the same thing for black, though I think blues are better. And it intersects with not only decay, but disturb, and black doesn't get to play disturb. I mean, ex- except for whatever, the, the cut purse. Yeah, that makes sense. I- I'd buy the blues the best color. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate there a little bit. I know, and I'm just, I'm pushing back hard, baby. You got it. I'm sold. Blue's best <laughs> color. Moving on. Number four, Organ Hoarder is the most mythic common we've ever seen. I mean, its win rate is through the roof. I think this might be the most pushed common we've seen since starting the podcast. I 100% agree. Right. Well, what are so the other thoughts are like Seraph's Packmate, right? I, I think would be another one that comes to Ooh, mind. Yeah. You could, you could also, like, in terms of the importance or the flexibility of picking it first, like environmental sciences could come up but like this card on raw power just is busted you know it's, it's so funny i was watching um uh riley is back streaming riley knight's back streaming and i was watching his stream the other day and he was playing some limited and he cast an oregon hoarder and he was like i don't get it why is this card like better than search party captain like i mean I, he's like i kind of get it but is it really like that nuts and i was like yes because sometimes it's a three for one or a four for one if you have disturb and flashback and he was just like oh yeah, I get it. Okay. Well, and the selection is super powerful. I don't know. I, yeah. I do think when you floated Circle's Packmate, I think Packmate might have been better, but it's very close. Floated? You floated an idea. Oh, float, float. Okay, I got you. No? I got you. I was like, no, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. I was like, I, I thought you couldn't remember the mechanic Fortell and you were just <laughs> calling it for floated, like, <laughs> no. like floating it on turn two, casting it on turn you three. You floated that out into the conversational <laughs> ether. Yeah. And it sparked uh, some consideration in me. Yeah, I, 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 I hear you now. Yeah, I mean, I think Pac-Mate is, I mean, it's kind of close, but Hoarder is just nuts. And you know what other common is nuts? Oh, please don't. Number five, Diagraph Horde is the biggest limited design mistake. You know, the other day on stream, Stunlock was like, I don't think you've ever hated a card more <laughs> than Diagraph Horde. And I don't, I think it's true. Like, I think egregious rares or whatever like lisa or you know glory bringer or things like that that you're like why isn't this mythic why is this a rare i look at diagraph and i'm like why is this a common and why does it have to do all this stuff and i know we've talked about it before like it could just make the decayed tokens i know it would still be good or it could make one and do one in one or whatever like nerf this in any way and it's still a good card and i just feel like especially for me i just it it has punished so many of my games and turned games that i was winning into games that i was losing that a common should not be able to do yeah i agree i think it is the fun police of the format right because the decks that compete with blue black rely on the graveyard and then they just get this card that says nope you don't get to do the thing that you drafted and built your deck around doing in one card that is also still a great card well, and there's entire archetypes built around this, like blue, white, disturb or red based spells decks are aggressively trying to utilize the graveyard as a resource. And then this card comes along and says, nope, you lose. That is also in a very strong color and a very strong deck with no cost to including it in your deck. Yep. All right, moving on. And number six, speaking of Diagraph Horde, interacting with the opponent's graveyard is kind of a must in the set. You put this idea out there a week or two ago. And I think I was not quite there yet, and I am 100% on board. Pretty much after you said it, it got me thinking about it more. And cards like Soul Guide Griff, Jack-O-Lantern, especially Rotten Reunion, like that gets one and then has the threat of getting a second one, those cards are all just very good and very main deckable. Rotten Reunion has really gone up my power rankings. I cannot tell you. I was just playing a match before we recorded where like my opponent cast Ardent Elementalist, 
And then they went to get back their Moon Ranger Slash. And I was like, nope, one mana out of my hand. Boop, snag that in response. Like, that's very powerful. Just, you know, people are incidentally milling themselves and you get to go, okay, there's your Disturbed Creature. There's your Flashback Creature for a pretty small cost. And then if you, you know, ideally your black deck is utilizing the Decayed Token in some way. And so it doesn't feel like, you know, it's not doing anything otherwise. Yeah, I completely agree. Number seven, for red to succeed, you need to build it as a Spells Matter deck no matter what you pair it with. Yeah, Seize the Storm and Thermal Alchemist are huge reasons to draft this style of deck at Uncommon. I think Seize the Storm more than Thermal Alchemist. Thermal Alchemist mm-hmm. doesn't quite carry the deck on its own the way Seize the Storm does. For red decks, decks with a Seize the Storm and without Seize the Storm are hugely different, right? Because you just don't have that inevitability that you're playing towards when you find your Seize the Storm. Right. Well, Seize the Storm is resilient in the fact that it's a two for one and also being able to like be incidentally milled or whatever, like working with the, you know, when you're red green working with farmers or red blue working with hoarders. I think that definitely sets it apart from Alchemist, but I, I like Alchemist quite a bit. And, and the other reason I think is that red creatures at common are all largely junk, except for number eight. Number eight, Festival Crasher is the best red common, baby. Yeah, and I put this point here, and I'm not even sure if it's true because of, you know, experience in the draft challenge this weekend. But up until then, the crazy thing is, is you you could wheel it, right? You could take cards that are like, quote unquote, I don't know, be- better or whatever, like perceived to be better, like Moonrager Slash, and then wheel Crasher. But Crasher at common is the most important piece to the deck because you can get whatever, the stolen vitalities, the abandon the posts, the ways to make the card explosive in this in the other way that like yeah moon ranger slash is good burn the accursed is good but it's not as crucial as that two drop i will say i do think you know the caveat of red being spells i think red black is real and red white creatures are real and red white really needs their gold uncommon the sunrise cavalier i think to be good but those are i think the tier two red decks tier one red decks are the red spells decks Yep. Oh, I'm so glad I get this one. Number nine, croaking counterpart is the truth. Ben, I finally got to do it. You did the thing. I did the thing. I got a, actually two decks last week I got that had croaking counterpart and root coil creeper. So you get to do the little, I mean, it's not really like a loop, but you know, you get, you copy creeper and then you use the copy to get back croaking counterpart from exile and then get to do the stuff again. I had so many different wins i milled people by copying drownyard amalgams i just killed people by stacking dreadhound triggers and, and then just like swinging all i got to copy the back half of tovalar's pack leader which i think is a hunt master or, or vice versa tovalar's hunt master the back half is pack leader um, and then it doesn't flip because tokens don't have backsides it, this card is awesome Ooh, nice. Yeah. Quick plug for the CFB newsletter. If you're not on that, you need to sign up. It's a free piece of content every week. Your title for your article this week was Go for Croak. And I laughed so hard when I saw it. It was brilliant. Really enjoyed the article. It's about a uh, croaking counterpart. Thank you. Thank you. I, I must give credit to Stunlock for that title. Ooh, must, nice, man. Must, must pass it on. Yeah. All right, number 10, Coven was a good mechanic, but more incidental than something you actually drafted towards. You were just kind of drafting green-white, and then you had Coven a large portion of the time. Yeah, because it just wasn't like the good cards had zero power or one power, right? Your trappers or your mentors, and then you had your Lunark veterans or your chaplain of arms or whatever. Like, it wasn't that hard. And then two and three power are pretty easy to come by. So like once your dual craft trainer came down, you were just like, all right. I oh, oh oops I have coven or just it just wasn't that hard to set up and so that's also a cool I think aggro mechanic where you don't have to worry about trinkety synergy you just get to go what are the best cards I want to draft 
Yeah, I agree. Number 11, Phantom Carriage plus Diagraph Rebirth is Gifts Ungiven plus Unburial Rights. And I guess you could even say the same for Phantom Carriage plus Crawl from the Cellar. Like it does a similar thing. So one of the reasons why Diagraph Rebirth, I think, wasn't that good. Black Green just wasn't that good, period, was because you just sort of had a similar, if not sometimes better, like it's not a reanimation spell. It's a raised dead spell. But when the front half just costs one, it's pretty easy to then cast that creature if you want to. Yes. But yeah, Phantom Carriage getting to bin that. And then if they kill it, then you get it back and then get to find something else. Where, where did you land on Phantom Carriage at the end? You weren't you weren't a huge fan of this card, right? I think it's not great. It's like a super solid C, maybe a C plus. Definitely doesn't pull me into blue. Yeah, I'd say I'd say C plus seems fair to me, but I think I, I'm like a C plus plus. I like the card a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's fun. feels great when you resolve it, but so many times you play it. Your opponent kills it and then kills you, and you don't get to realize the value. Number 12, we've got Eccentric Farmer plus Evolving Wilds was your gateway to multicolor good stuff. I really liked Eccentric Farmer and especially the Evolving Wilds combo. Played a lot of five color green decks that were, you know, green, second base color, and then XX or XXX. And the, if you had two Evolving Wilds with multiple Eccentric Farmers, your mana felt very good. Yeah, really, really consistent, especially in those heydays. And I don't know if we're still in those heydays of, you know, being able to get eccentric farmers to wheel or getting, you know, three plus copies of them. And once you have a farmer, Evolving Wild should really shoot up in your pick order. I think we are still in that heyday, partially because green's just not great. And so I think if you're moving into green for eccentric farmer, you're kind of asking for a rough time. There's not a lot of good ways to get into green, which I think is one of the reasons that it keeps going so late and it will keep going so late. Yeah, I mean, if you're not starting the draft with like Arise the Ants or Clear Shot or Death Bonnet Sprout, like those powerful uncommons or then even rares, like I am still very, like I like Eccentric Farmer a lot, but I'm so wary of like getting into green for Farmer because if it's not actually open and those uncommons aren't flowing, I don't think my deck's going to be powerful. I agree. Number 13, there is a lot of fixing in this set, but it is mostly bad. Like there's a it's a lot and it's all pretty bad. Moonsilver Key, Mystic Skull, Crossroads Candle Guide, Dawnheart Rejuvenator. These are all cards that I don't want to put in my deck. I agree. Yeah, the best fixing is probably Root Coil Creeper, the Lantern and Evolving Wilds. Yeah, Wilds, I think far and away. And then yeah, Creeper because it's ramp and fixing. Oh, I forgot to mention like Path of the Festival, which is also highly medium. That was fine. Yeah, I mean, you, you like one c- copy of it in your multicolor good stuff decks that don't get there otherwise is fine. But that's those are a lot of like caveats to being OK with including it. I it, two, two color decks is where you want to be at. I agree. Number 14, Shipwreck Sifter is a secret blue white gold card, but it is outstanding in blue white. Yeah, I was I was curious. I was looking at the stats on 17 lands yesterday about like the top commons in the set because oh, what was I trying to do? I was trying to compare. Oh, people are talking about black one drops ecstatic awakener in this set versus shambling ghast in AFR. And I was like, these are cards are worlds apart. And I wanted Holy to see like, cow, what, yeah, they are. what the win rates were for each in their respective sets. And then I was like, just curious what the top commons were in the format. And, and Shipwreck Sifters cracks the top 10 commons, I believe which I think is completely wrong, but perhaps just speaks to how incredibly good it is in blue-white and especially good in multiples. Yeah, that all checks out with me. And speaking of good in blue-white, number 15, Blessed Defiance is Bone Splinters. Don't at me. Number 16, Decayed and Disturb. Even Green Flashback really made Sweepers worse in the format. 
oh my god, you could wrath, and then the next turn your opponent goes, Falcon Abomination, bring back Bait Hook Angler. And you're like, wait, what? Didn't I just clean this up? Or they're just like, all right, flashback, Shadow Be Sighting, or flashback, Rise of the Ants. Like, I, I was really high on Burn Down the House initially, and it did kind of go down for me as the format progressed. I will say I played a very fun blue-white deck with Vanquish the Horde with a lot of Disturbed Creatures where you could really disguise the Wrath, right? Because you didn't mm. mind overcommitting because you knew you were going to have the backsides of all the creatures. That was pretty sweet. Number 17, Light Up the Night is a very powerful card. I think that's a full stop. Let's just make sure people know. Like, definitely had people on stream go like, well, why is this card so good? I'm like, because you can either just kill a creature on rate. Like, that plus one for the X when it targeted a creature was really important. And then just in the late game, you could just burn your opponent's face out from like eight or seven or something. Yeah, that was definitely one of the best reasons to play Arden Elementalist. I had a lot of games that ended with either me playing Arden Elementalist, rebuying Light of the Night in a concession, or my opponents doing the same thing to me. Yeah, once you got Light of the Night, you're like actively looking for that first Elementalist. Number 18, format defining mythic uncommons. White, we've got dual craft trainer. I also want to add some others here. Ritual of Hope, I think was very important to the white decks and just shot up my pick order as the format went on that's the plus one plus one to your team plus two plus one if you have coven there's so many white decks that just want to clog the ground and swarm the board and then alpha with ritual of hope and it was a really inevitable win condition and then i think ambitious farmhand needs some love too one in a white for the one one that can search up a planes and then turns into a three three lifelinker yeah, yeah yeah so my thought about this like mythic uncommon ranking wasn't i mean ambitious farmhand is better than dual craft trainer i think like it, the stats would suggest so for sure um and just like two drop versus a four drop etc but just in terms of like cards that felt overpowered or overperformed or, or whatever however you want to phrase it like ended the game faster like ambitious farmhand was just pure value but trainer came down and you're like oh no i think i'm just about to die to this yes trainer was definitely the oh no <laughs> yeah and so like in blue, like Overwhelmed Archivist, I think is a better card than the card I have here, which is Scob Wrangler. And Wrangler just sometimes it wasn't that good. But then the games where your opponent like went Falcon Abomination into Scob Wrangler or vice versa, you're just like, oh, no, <laughs> I am going to have a real hard time dealing with this. I completely agree. Scob Wrangler felt terrible when your opponent had three or more creatures. Yeah. Black, Morbid Opportunist, baby. Like why why is this card what, what it is? Like it's so unpunishing. It doesn't you don't even lose a life. Like, you just draw a card. Un unbelievable. Uh, red, obviously, sees the storm. Green, death bonnet sprout. And, you know, you, say, you said here, I think you pushed back, like, clear shots, probably better. Rise of the Ants, probably better. I think I agree. But death bonnet sprout, like, it was such an oppressive one drop. You were just like... It was a ticking time bomb of when is it going to flip and start to eat my graveyard? Yeah, I think I never really got it to work, which is maybe part of the reason I'm a little lower on it. But I agree. I was always terrified of my opponents. My green decks just never ended up having enough creatures because I never got it in green white, which I think is its best home probably or green blue. Yeah, I think it's just like it, it just plays so well with farmers, right? So if, you, if you're getting farmers, Sprout's really good there because it's so easy to flip it with the incidental creatures being milled from farmer as well. Yeah, for sure. Number 19, the quote unquote never deck loops just didn't work in this format. Despite devious cover up existing at common and turn the earth and covetous castaway at uncommon all, you know, hinting towards being able to do this. It's just like wasn't how games went. And I have played probably I played turn the earth probably more than most people out there. I really gave that card a shot and it was really bad. One of the worst things to happen to me in this format was getting this deck 
in like my third draft of the format and getting seven wins with it. It was like green, blue, base, five color, turn the earth. And I actually decked myself several times. I did the thing. And so I just kept chasing it all format and it just wasn't that good. <laughs> I think the same thing happened to me. My first draft was a seven two and I had two devious cover ups in the deck in a blue green deck. And like, I kind of did the thing once, but it was so unnecessary, like still had like 10 cards in my library or whatever. It just it just wasn't worth it. Number 20, the Golden Egg Award goes to Lunark Veteran. Thank you to all the nominees here. Uh, the gluiest of glue cards here in Lunark Veteran. Card is great. It does so much work. I think the one mana, one one body, all the life gain attached to it. Yeah, every argument you made in favor of this card when we talked about it on the crash course, because you were higher than me, right? You were saying that this was Doom Traveler. Doom Traveler. Yeah, that's better. That's better than Doom Traveler. Way better than Doom Traveler. And it just works well with so many of the other good cards in the format, right? Works well with Organ Hoarder. Works well with Ecstatic Awakener. They talked on Mystical Dispute, which is another podcast if you're interested in checking it out. A whole episode about Lunark Veteran, and they're going to do it much more justice than we could do in whatever the minute we're going to talk about it. But this card is great, and I think it is the best white common. Agreed. Number 21, Ominous Roost really got there as a build around. And I will say not only in blue white, which is its best home, but I have played it in like blue green splash splash with wilds and farmers and a bunch of flashback stuff. And it was successful there, too. It was like a win condition in that deck where I'm like, I'm OK, I'm holding the ground. But then how am I going to win? Well, I need some one one flyers. And it was a true build around in the sense that like it wasn't Roost of Drakes, right? It was a yes. fun build around where you had to do some work to make Ominous Roost good and to make cards that wouldn't normally be playable playable. Yep. Agreed. Number 22, the official Lords of Limited color pair power ranking. So first, this is just 17landsdata.com. And then we're going to say how we would switch the 17 lands data so here's 17 lands rankings of the color pairs by win rate number one blue white number two blue black number three seeing a trend blue green <laughs> number four green white number five black white number six red white number seven red black number eight black green number nine blue red and bringing up the rear and the werewolf set number 10 red green yeah i think so that's 17 lands I personally would have blue red up in the number four slot. I think all four of the blue decks were the best decks. I agree completely. And then I would also swap black, white and green, white. I would have black, white as my fifth best deck and then green, white just on the outside looking into the top five. Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I never quite wrapped my head around what made black, white work. I would get like really good black, white decks or what looked like really good black, white decks to me that would go like two, three, then get like ones that seemed whatever that would get seven wins. And then I felt like largely it was off the back of, okay, did I get Lisa or not? So black, white never quite clicked for me. To me, it was ecstatic awakener. That was ecstatic awakener's best home and Lunark veterans best mm -hmm. home. It was just yeah. this tempo aggro sacrifice deck. And then you also had ritual of hope back up. You know, once you had flooded the board with all these disturbed things, sacrificed your stuff and you had the good removal in black. It was just a, a really good aggressive sacrifice deck. Number 23 greens, big, dumb five drops were all largely interchangeable and forgettable. Like you did not need to prioritize these because you would always get them and they didn't matter. The four five vigilance, the five, five coven trample and then burly breaker like take them or leave them 100 percent. number 24 silverbolt was fine removal if you needed it but you'd hope to do better with interaction and this is an interesting 
trend, I think, or maybe not trend, but, you know, hearkening back to Throne of Eldraine, where I think we were all hot and heavy for Scalding Cauldron, which was very similar, except didn't have the werewolf clause, but was a one mana artifact, three tap, deal three. And I think we were really excited about that. And then as the format progressed, we were like, eh, this is fine. If you have artifact synergies, it gets a little better. You'll happily play one. And I thought was sort of what this felt like too. And so I think moving forward, I'm going to try and cool it on these kinds of effects. Yeah, I think the biggest knock against this was that it wasn't a spell. I kept, you know, you didn't get the Moonrager slashes sometimes in Blue Red, mm. and then Silverbolt just felt so awkward, including in those decks. Yeah, and felt redundant just because there was, the removal was good. Like even Duel for Dominance, I think was a good card in this format. You would happily play a couple of those. And we'll talk about enchant removal Right now, actually, number 25. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Enchantment removal wasn't that bad in this set. Hashtag candle trap for life, baby. I came around on candle trap quite a bit. I jury's still out for me on locked in the cemetery. I think you're hoping to not play that card. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think locked is worlds worse than candle trap, but candle trap, I think, you know, in your white green decks that like just are, you know, 17, 18 creatures, a couple combat tricks. A candle trap will do just fine as your removal spell. Number 26, even in the best black-white sacrifice decks, Hostile Hostile was unplayable. Great name of her card, though. Great name for a card. Terrible card. Like, I don't know how many times you've played it with or against this, but I played with it once in a black-white deck, and then after seeing it do nothing on the battlefield multiple turns, and then I've eventually sided it out. I can't tell you how many times I've seen my opponents go to like click tap the card in response to a removal spell and then realize that they can only do it at sorcery speed or like try and do it on end step or whatever. And I'm just like, nope, sorry, bud. Yeah, it's really not good. I've never played it and have laughed at it on the opponent's side of the battlefield. Yeah, one of the many, many cards. Like, I mean, we'll talk about this in a second, like heirloom mirror or whatever. So many cards that Revenge of the Drowned was just like, you're a joke to me. (laughs) Number 27, if you drafted Olivia's Midnight Ambush, Shady Traveler just went up in your pick order. This was something that you clued me into, I think, early-ish in the format. But like being able to start the day-night cycle yourself for Ambush was really important, I think. Yeah, because you didn't want to count on your opponent having to do it because it was powerful to turn Olivia's Ambush into Doomblade. I mean, to just know that that was a thing that was going to happen. And Mm -hmm. I think removal also played well with Shady Traveler, right? There was there was a style of black deck that used black's tier two cards, right? That wasn't Mm -hmm. we saw BK do this, right? It wasn't the Eaten Alives. It wasn't the Ecstatic Awakeners. It wasn't the Defenestrates. You got Olivia's Midnight Ambush, you got Shady Travelers, your Shady Travelers got in for damage. Shady Traveler curves really nicely into the 4-2 bat that brings a 1-1 along with it. I think Mm -hmm. all of those cards just kind of played well together, and Shady Traveler definitely was best friends with Olivia's Midnight Ambush. Yep. Number 28, it's hard to get to the bottom of fishy attacks in this format. There's just so much going on. Do they have a trick? Do they want to play a cheaper search party captain if they're white? If they're red black, do they care about the damage matters? Or do they want to actually use a combat trick to kill your thing that's going to block their stuff? Do they have crafty cut purse, the black you know thing that kills your creature if it took damage? Do they have blade brand. There were just a lot of different layers to combat in the format. 
Yeah, really, really hard to like be 100% or be like, all right, I'm locked in, I'm getting the read that it's this, and then I'm going to play accordingly. Because you often, you know, if they were red, black, they could be doing one of two things. If they were black, white, they could be doing one of two things. It was, it was difficult to figure it out. And just as a gameplay tip in general, if you feel like your opponent's got something here, if you can wait, you know, rather than, you know, if you feel behind, if you can afford to wait to block for a turn to when you can leave mana up for your own trick to maybe blow theirs out in response, that's a great way to get an advantage against these style of decks. Mm-hmm. Number 29, keeping track of Coven for yourself and disrupting it for your opponent was very important. And the timing of this was very important, right? So they go to combat and their dual craft trainer is about to trigger. Okay, so now is when maybe you use startle to turn their three power thing into a one power thing and now they lose coven or you kill something in response or revenge in response. And then also for you tracking where you're putting your counters, like I've seen so many people just nerf their contortionist troop because they were like, okay, now I'm going to turn this other thing into a four, four and oh no, now I have two, four, fours and a two, two and my troop is now offline. Right. And just knowing in your deck which powers you have the most of and which powers you have the least of to try to preserve those types of creatures if you care about Coven. And so like, yeah, I mean, this may sound like it's, you know, knocking our other point about Coven being incidental, but like what we're saying is it's not hard to get Coven, but it is also easy to get yourself off of Coven if you're not careful. Yes, definitely have done that myself. (laughs) (laughs) Number 30, the more self-mill you had, the more you wanted flashback and disturb. Yeah, I mean, I, I never quite came around to the otherworldly gaze of the oh, world. You it's know, so good. I, I, I did play it in a deck the other day and it was fine. I think, I don't know, like it versus consider versus secrets of the key. I, I'm not sold that like one is markedly better than the other. But do you think like once you got like a hoarder, a couple farmers, you're just looking for anything that's going to give you that incidental value. Yeah, and I think, again, shout out to Mystical Dispute. They did an episode on Otherworldly Gaze, and I think they nailed the two cards that it plays best with, which is Seize the Storm and Ominous Roost. And I think also maybe if you've got like six Festival Crashers or whatever, and sure. you just need to find more spells, and it's three mana, you know, give your Festival Crashers plus four plus oh. Yeah. Oh my God. Festival crashers. Those like those the explosive crasher turns when you really map those out when your opponent, you're like, are you at 17 and then they're just dead or whatever? Oof. You love to see them. Number 31. Neonate's rush is way better than you think. I mean, like, is it better than Moonrager slash? No. All right. That's fair. But <laughs> it is a cantripping red spell. It deals damage to the opponent for your damage matter stuff. And as we mentioned in previous weeks, there are just so many X1s worth killing when you think about Awakener and Scob Wrangler and Lunark Veteran. I mean, like, you know, when you see a Lunark Veteran, you're like, oh, no, I, this is just kind of two for one me. You know, when you have the Neonates Rush, you're like, well, at least I can I can deal with one half of this and get my card back. Number 32, Day Night really wasn't a big part of the format, nor were werewolves. Feels bad, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. It just didn't. It didn't really play a big part. I, I feel like I keep going back to it, but like Obsessive Astronomer or Firmament Sage, those were cards that I was happier, Sunrise Cavalier, that I was happier thinking about day-night with than I was actual werewolves. Well, and I think that was a big knock for me against original Innistrad. I think I really didn't enjoy the aspect of, okay, my opponent had a turn two werewolf. I didn't have a two drop. So now I'm just horrifically far behind in the game because it's going to be a while before I can double spell you know, to flip it back or whatever. And I think they did a good job of not making that 
a gameplay thing in this format, but almost too good of a job. Yeah, no common two drop werewolves solve that a little bit. There were definitely times when my opponent went turn two Kessig Naturalist and I was like, oh, I guess I'm just going to die to this because I don't have a two drop or they're just going to get to ramp hard because I'm playing a two mana one three or whatever. Number 33, Flip the Switch is the best three mana value counterspell we've seen in Limited since starting the podcast. Not close, I don't think. I agree. This card is really good. And I really there was a discussion of this in the Lords Limited Discord about, you know, just three mana counterspells that have, you know, an additional piece of value to them. Maybe you could even think about dissipate in this format as exile mattering. And that's additional. I like it just doesn't quite hold water for me. Like I do think flip the switch is a real clear cut above the rest. Well, and that's because of the cards around it, right? And the decayed zombie being attached to it. And like cards like Organ Hoarder, you know, being awesome once they hit the battlefield, just a whole slew of circumstances came together to make Flip the Switch great. And I think that is not necessarily going to be the case going forward for their limited sets. I think that is more a factor of the environment of this particular limited format than, you know, going forward, three mana counterspells are probably going to be better. And I think two mana counterspells, something like, you know, Essence Scatter just has always been great in limited, right? I think that the default is to say that that is a good card in limited. Yes. Yeah. Once you get up that that mana, and you could also say like there were times where you could sort of play around flip the switch in a sense because of the you know, it's not quite a hard counter, but having to pay four is a lot. And it's not until the late game that you can start to go, okay, I'm going to, you know, play this this card first or play my three drop and hold up four mana, whatever. Number 34, pack one, pick one, ecstatic awakener over diagraph horde. Despite my hate and loathing for diagraph horde, I agree with this ecstatic awakener. I mean, the numbers suggest this pretty hard. And I do think this is the case that ecstatic awakener is a better card to take. And it's the best black common and the second best common in the set. It's weird, though, because it shifts, right? There are times when you're taking Diagraph Horde over Ecstatic Awakener pretty happily. If you don't have a lot of top end, it just feels especially bad to start your draft with the five drop when there's a one drop that's close to as powerful or maybe even more powerful. Well, Ecstatic Awakener does another sort of ticking time bomb thing where when it comes out on turn one, you're like, okay, this is going to be a problem because a four four, as we'll get to in a little bit, is really tough to deal with in the format effectively. And you know they're going to get a card, and so you affect you you assume that you know they've built their deck in some way. They've got you know a novice occultist or some decayed tokens for it. That like you are trying to like time this your way to kill it or one for one with it before it you know accrues value and becomes a threat you have to deal with. That's a lot for a one drop. Heck yeah, it is. Number thirty five, the common black removal power rankings. This I think is the exact opposite list of what I had initially. We have number one. <laughs> Eaten Alive, number two, Defenestrate, and number three, Olivia's Midnight Ambush. Um, Eaten Alive being exiling was relevant. You having stuff to sacrifice pretty readily in black. Um, Defenestrate just being good, instant speed, removal for most things. And Ambush, I think, being you know a two-mana disfigure a lot of the time because day night was kind of irrelevant right you had to do some work to make olivia's midnight ambush good and the work that you were doing to make olivia's midnight ambush good was playing some less than ideal cards and then the work you were doing to make eaten alive great was just playing cards that were already great and you wanted to play anyway so true number 36 early data from this format was pretty accurate and i owe 17 lands an apology so shout out to lunark veteran shout out to neonates rush i believe i said something like if Lunark Veteran was the best white common at the end of the format. I would bow to the big data lords, and I, I'm bowing to big data. 
And I think, you know, so shout out to Carl, to Duck Cubed, who came on our show and we had our nice war on data episode or data on trial episode. And that was very fun. One of my favorite episodes. If you haven't listened to it, highly recommend it. And I, you know, this was the first set that you and I, I checked 17 lands a lot. I had 17 lands, like the, the card analysis page open on my other monitor. I think every time I streamed, just because there were so many times where I was like, I'm curious about this. Just as Carl suggested of like, I have a hunch about this comparison. Let me see what the data says. The flip side, I will say, is I think it's useful for stuff that is um, maybe a little bit more easier to figure out, like the Esper colors, like like black cards. Like when people are saying Ecstatic Awakener is better than the removal, man, that's got to be true because people love removal, right? Um, I think the flip side is that red and green cards, the data maybe didn't help that much in terms of checking rankings of stuff or you know comparing a card's win rate in red or green to a card's win rate in blue or black was kind of hard to be grokkable because people just didn't really know how to build good red or green decks a lot of the time well and i think i did it less than you it sounds like i opened 17 lands i don't know maybe five or six times over the course of the format and messed around for like five minutes or something but i will say the early looks that i gave definitely bore out to be true and i think were really interesting and i would say for data going forward, it was super interesting for myself. I really enjoyed looking at the data and kind of seeing what I thought about all of it. I still don't enjoy people quoting data at me, especially as a way to win arguments, because it yeah. just ends the conversation, which is not fun. And it, yeah, I don't know. I don't it's know what else fru- to say. It's also it. not fruitful. Like, not only is it not fun for you engaging in that argument, but it doesn't actually like it's like, well, you're experience is invalid it's like no it isn't my experience is quite valid because those are these are the games i'm playing like that's not what data data shouldn't be used as you say as a weapon yeah maybe that's what my problem is i feel invalidated by data (laughs) yeah and like but but your experiences are quite valid especially as a, a player of your caliber you know right right number 37 eccentric farmer my goodness still underrated to this day and as a bullet point for ben still train wrecking my drafts yeah, I mean, this card's great, and I love it, and I keep making the mistake of pivoting into green for, like, pack one, pick seven, eccentric farmer, and then ending up in this four-color stew that goes two, three, but I love yeah. it every single time. It's such a powerful card. Well, and again, it's a card that is interesting in that it is the best green common, but is it a green signal? Like, seeing it pick seven, is that a signal? I don't, I don't know because, so. I, because I think people just don't know how good it is that they're maybe taking like Harvest Tide Sentry or Duel for Dominance over it. Yeah, that checks out with me. Number 38, Bounding Wolf has reach. It's tough, right? No red creatures with reach in this set to like get them. No artifacts to get them. Though Alex uh, Corticals did get got by this card <laughs> a few days ago on stream and someone sent me the clip. They were like, for the 50 takes episode? So I think it checks out. Bounding Wolf has reach. And for those of you that don't know, since we've been doing these 50 takes episodes, there's always a card that has reach that doesn't seem like it should have reach. <laughs> yeah. Or that you just, for me, stupidly always attack into like arachnoform. All right. Number 39, Ben, a new segment here, because we usually just have one gold uncommon, but we had two for the set for each color pair. So we're going to do the Lords of Limited gold uncommon arena Two go in one comes out. Let's start with blue white devoted graph keeper versus faithful mending. Easy Graph Keeper. Easy Graph Keeper. So, so good. What a powerful card for this archetype. And I think Faithful Mending really didn't get there, even in very good blue-white decks, except if you had 
ominous roost. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, sometimes you were doing like some Bant soups where it was okay. But like the fact that Shipwreck Sifters just did what this card does, but way better as a two mana, two, three body that can grow past that. Yeah, I think I think clear graph keeper here. Next up, we've got Flesh Taker versus Rite of Oblivion. Easy Rite of Oblivion. Flesh Taker was fine, not great. Rite of Oblivion was oppressive. Oh, I think Flesh Taker was great. I agree that it's Rite of Oblivion, but I think it's not. It's not that close, but I think you're underselling Flesh Taker. I don't know. Flesh, like you had so many good, like your black white decks, I don't think were that elevated by a Flesh Taker and they were quite elevated by a Rite. That's my, that's my take. I think that statement is true. Yes. Blue black blade stitched scob versus corpse cobble. I'm going to make a contentious pick here and I'm going to say corpse cobble. Stop it. That's oh my God. That's the hottest flaming hottest take I've ever heard. You would love corpse cobble. You love corpse cobble. It's so busted in good blue black decks. So here's my case for corpse cobble. Is it good without the other cards around it? No. But once you have the cards that make the incidental zombies, Corpse Cobble is an insanely powerful way to interact with the game. But Blade Stitch Scob just turns all of your decay tokens into three twos, which is wildly good. It is. That's better than sacrificing all your decay tokens to make a big menace creature. I think in their best scenarios, Corpse Cobble's best scenario is better than Blade Stitch Scob's best scenario. The floor on Corpse Cobble is way lower, but I think the ceiling's higher. I, I, I can't get behind this, but I respect your uh, the hill you're going to die on. Here. All right. <laughs> Next up, we've got Root Coil Creeper versus Winter Thorn Blessing. This is a close one. This is close, and I am actually going to side with Winterthorn Blessing. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. That's where I was leaning to. Winterthorn Blessing is insanely powerful. Like, it's quite good on defense, and if you are even slightly aggressive, this just will win you the game on the spot. I think it is the reason that blue green was better as a beatdown deck. Yes, but even whatever, even in your even in your derpy farmer decks, you wanted this card. Hundred you know? percent. Yeah. Uh, red white sunrise cavalier versus sacred fire. Another close one. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go sunrise cavalier on the back of it being the card that I think made red white tick and i was the most afraid of on turn three from a red white deck sacred fire was almost better in non red white decks. it's a jess guy card right yeah yeah i'm gonna go cavalier I-, I think i'm with you on cavalier green white dawn heart wardens versus join the dance dawn heart wardens 10 out of 10 right easy join the dance was poop vampire socialite versus hungry for more i think this is an easy hungry for more i think it's close right hungry for more is much better if your spells vampire socialites probably better if you're vampires yeah except i feel like yeah yes that's true and i just think the red black deck was it was so much easier to be a spells deck based on festival crash rack common versus like for you to have the red black vampires deck yeah you needed socialite you needed the voldaren ambusher you needed the stromkirk whatever like you needed all those uncommons whereas i think once you got hungry for more man if you've ever just had like a couple crashes in play turn five hungry for more flashback hungry for more that is gg oh i've done it and i like hungry for more more also as well but i think i just want to prop up vampire socialite a little bit i think it's close and they go in respective decks but i'm choosing hungry for more next up we've got grizzly ghoul versus diagraph a rebirth can i just like mulligan on both of these (laughs) i was thinking that while i was reading it (laughs) like i grizzly ghoul was powerful there were definitely like the the thing of you know they attack you block and trade and then they play a four mana six five trample that was problematic 
but like I, I think honestly for my money i would i would say diagraph rebirth i guess but I, I don't care about either of these cards next up we've got kessig naturalist versus unnatural sunrise in maybe the most lopsided matchup ever i mean it's naturalist right it's naturalist yeah unnatural moonrise wasn't playable and then lastly we've got storm screelix versus arcane infusion i don't another, care about either of these cards another again, mulligan right yeah but I'm choosing Storm Skrillex just because I finally just came around to Arcane Infusion just being stone unplayable. Whoa, that is that's another take. What? Stone unplayable. Stone unplayable. Electric Revelation is miles better than Arcane Infusion. I could buy that. That's fair. Yeah. Flashback cost being four as well, not five. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm on Skrillex as well. All right. Number 40. Instrad Midnight Hunt had two phases in the format. Phase one was draft blue black. Phase two was black being overdrafted and then the format opened up quite a bit as black was getting overdrafted with the advent of red spells shout out to ryan Sachs as a viable deck which also i think revealed green to be the weakest color over red yeah agreed number 41 the magic number ding 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 was four and i think that's largely off the back of moonrager slash and silverbolt yeah i think that is definitely true yeah um i mean ecstatic awakener becoming a four four just felt like oh no like, I got I to gotta do a little bit of work. Where's my Defenestrate at? And Diagraph Horde being a 3-4 instead yeah. of like a 3-2 or something, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> to continue to complain about that card. Number 42, some cards that looked good during preview season that were overrated. Clap, 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 clap. Yeah, I got to take my lumps here for Heirloom Mirror. I wanted this card to be good so bad, but, you know, another card on the long list. Every time my opponent cast that, I was like... I cannot wait for you to do a bunch of stuff with this card and then for me to Revenge of the Drowned, your tapped creature. Heck yeah. Next, we've got Odric's Outrider. This just didn't really quite get there. It was good in the best black-white decks, but I think also a fairly unnecessary piece there. Just the 4-mana 2-4 body wasn't relevant enough on offense, and I don't think you wanted things to die on your side of the battlefield. I said this a lot on stream because, you know, the card comes up a lot and I don't take it and people would ask why. And I think, you know, it stems from white's best strategies are creature based aggro strategies. And in those strategies, you want to be paying, you know, just a good rate for your cards and your aggro decks don't want four mana two fours. And that uh-huh. is that's why the card isn't good. That's the tweet. Well, if you're Ben, you thought this card was good. If you're Ethan, you didn't. Blood <laughs> wow. Tithe Collector. Sorry, I got, I got to shout you out here. You put you you really wanted this card to be good. I liked this card. I five mana, three, four flyer makes your opponent discard a card. I thought it had the goods, but it did not have the goods. You know why it's, it doesn't have the goods? Because it's five mana. Yeah. And what's better at five mana in black? <laughs> oh, Diagraph Horde. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Number 43, cheap mana value cards were also many of the best cards in the set. Uh, Games did really start on turn one in this format. And I, you know, as someone who doesn't like aggro, I don't love this. But as someone who like, like, this is a good move for limited design. Like Lunark Veteran, Ecstatic Awakener, Larder Zombie, Voldaren Stinger. These, Green didn't get one, but these were all good cards for their respective decks. Number 44, there were a lot of powerful rares. Think Renin 7, think Liesa. I think the premium removal in the format was enough to keep them in check. Yeah, I mean, I think it says a lot that I'm coming out of this format angriest about a common. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like these rares or mythics, like they're good, but they felt they all felt largely beatable. Nothing like, you know, you can make a case for Liesa, Liso, however however you say it. But like that card's pretty egregiously powerful. Um, But most of the stuff I was like, yeah, you can you can. This is strong, but 
you can deal with it. Number 45, speaking of these rares, every deck wanted at least a few premium ways to interact, except maybe blue-white, but your your ways to interact in blue-white were was Bone Splinters. Blessed Defiance and Flare. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, you know, but but the colors got that. Like, every color got good ways to interact, I think. Yeah. And I think even in a pinch, if you were in a color pair that you didn't feel like had great options, you had Silver Bolt. Yeah. Number 46, blue-green looked like a self-mill value deck, but it played out best as a tempo beatdown deck. Shout out to Winterthorn Blessing, and I think the best home for Clear Shot. For sure, yeah. Number 47, ooh, yeah, this card. Sunset Revelry looks awkward, but it's a pretty darn good magic card. It's not hard to, I think, set up ways for this to do work. I think especially if you end up doing like white-red spells, you're into this card. The, the three modes were good to unlock. I sided this in every time against uh, team resources and was happy with it. Probably should have just main decked it. It's a good card. Well, I think the best thing about it is it's at its best when you're behind. And I think if you're ahead, you don't mind it being medium. And if you're ahead, like you're probably at least changing it in for a card, which is not the worst, you know. And then when you're behind, it's very powerful. Yeah, agreed. It's just as easy to get into situations where it's good, I think. Number 48, don't mill your opponent. So hold on a second. So a few weeks ago on stream, <laughs> I don't remember what the card was. I think it was Drown Yard Amalgam. And yes. you like didn't want to mill yourself for some reason. Yeah. Like you were worried about milling your bombs or something. I was. My deck and was I... relying on a few key cards. I don't know. I broke this rule a few times in the format. Don't at me. This is, yeah, I will at you. I'm adding you right now. It's so <laughs> bad to do this. Like, if you're worried about, you are like just as likely to mill whatever. Think however you want to think about it. You're milling like the bottom three cards of your library instead of the top three. You are just as likely to mill the bomb in those three cards than you are to dig yourself three cards deeper towards that bomb. Like, you should just never mill your opponents in this format because of flashback and disturb. Except if you're worried about decking. But most of the time I did it, it was because I was legitimately worried about decking. Fine. But if you here's my counter argument to that. If you're worried about decking, that means you've got like four organ hoarders in your deck. And then just like don't play Drownyard Amalgam. Yeah, that's fair, I think. <laughs> Look, I, I made this bullet point. I support not milling your opponent. I, I yes yes I appreciate it number 49 uh, a little bit of gameplay maneuvering here remember to set a stop on your end combat step for decayed token shenanigans right you need that little window of okay they've attacked they've dealt their damage the decayed sack trigger is about to happen and then let's say you want to sack it to your ecstatic awakener or your corpse cobble or whatever you want to make sure that you've got that little window to do so I would also say control shift is a good thing if you're not confident either. Just when I'm in doubt about what arena is going to do, control shift holds full control mm -hmm. until you hit control shift again. I think that's another good way if you're not sure what's going to happen to just avoid disaster. Sure. Number 50, gameplay in Innistrad Midnight Hunt was excellent and difficult and I think was a huge boon to the format. Yeah, I mean, I think it you know, lines up with you having a lot of stuff to do, your graveyard as a resource. I mean, oftentimes I had like, you know, nine, ten card hands sometimes with like five cards in hand, five cards in the graveyard. You had tons of stuff to do. Sequencing was really difficult. Understanding like, am I supposed to attack with my decayed token now to get in damage? Or do I need to leave it around because I have a siege zombie in my deck? Or, you know, because I want to trigger a damage matters thing in later turns. Like there were so many overlapping interactions and so many small edges that ended up bearing out in terms of 
the result of a win or a loss. Right. And I think it was both kinds of strategy. It was macro strategy and micro strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about like the overarching, like whatever synergy of your deck or game plan of your deck, but then also like game to game and matchup to matchup. And a lot of that was cards like Lunark Veteran made the math part of it super interesting. It really changed games. Or I think Flip the Switch being playable and having a lot of good three mana instant speed options just made for a lot of interesting gameplay decisions. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I This is not an all timer format for me, not even close. But I do agree that the gameplay was rewarding and educational. Yeah. And I think for me, it's not an all timer either, but like I think I would be solid B plus A minus, and it sounds like you're not quite there. No, yeah, I'm I'm quite a bit lower on the set than that. And I don't know if that's just like my saltiness towards Diagraph Horde or <laughs> just missing out on the first week and a half and just maybe feeling a little bit like I had to play catch up the whole last month or whatever. I don't know. Um, but yeah, this format never quite clicked with me or gelled with me. Yeah, I'm a little worried, honestly, that Crimson Vow is not going to be as good as this, and we're going to be stuck with it for a lot longer. That's my fear. So Crimson Vow got high expectations for you get a lot to live up to all right great place to wrap us up thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give it a listen thanks so much to channelfireball.com for sponsoring this podcast if you're heading over to cfb for any and all purchases or signing up for cfb pro please use the code lol when you check out to let them know we sent you there and you can check us out streaming i'm at twitch.tv slash lord tupperware ben is at twitch.tv slash mr metronome mr is spelled out we're both under those same usernames on twitter and you can tweet at the podcast at lords of limited if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited thanks everybody see you later Blessed defiance is bone splinters. Don't at me. It's definitely blessed, right? Blessed. Excuse me. I'm sorry, Shakespeare. Blessed are thou. Yeah. No, I mean, that's my Catholic upbringing. Wow. I'm pretty sure both are right. I I love when you want to come at me with on pronunciation pronunciations like just keep you keep doing it like time and time again and you're never right but you're always like oh isn't it this yeah both are right blessed or blessed (laughs) I'm I'm putting the dukes up again giving you a one two but we're both right here isn't that great yeah there you go.